Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well. Plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. Paznia, Paznia, which is, of course, uh, Croatian for Achtung, Achtung. Cries of that ringing out around Zagreb, <laughs> I'm sure, last night. Um, when England England did a strange thing, didn't they, where they won their first match. Normally, they'd lose their first match to make themselves realise it's all actually happening. That's the usual England pattern, is they have to give themselves a fright. Yeah, do you think they'll now get really complacent and lose to Scotland? <laughs> I expect so, yeah. <laughs> um, so we are, of course, recording today's episode in the middle of a football tournament. We thought we'd regale you today with the language of the team conquered by the plucky English at the weekend. Um, uh, <laughs> in a crushing 1-0 defeat. Um, yes, yeah, so, yeah, so what was that by New Zealand? <laughs> oh, God, let's not go there. <laughs> I mean, that's the good thing about, about the Euros coming on. Normally, I resent having football in the summer when it's cricket time, but right now it's quite useful distraction blasting out from yeah. everyone's <laughs> consciousness. Anyway, welcome to We Have Ways of Making You Talk With Me, Al Murray, and my regular co-pilot, well, flight engineer, James Holland. Um, well, no, hang on a minute. I think, I think <laughs> I was pilot the other day, wasn't I? Yeah, you, you were, were. Yeah, that's <laughs> you were in the true. dicky and seat. I, and I think, I absolutely think that's the right way around. I, I'd rather you, <laughs> I'd rather you had responsibility <laughs> for the, for the crate. Uh, anyway, um, we are, of course, recording this in the middle of a British heat wave as well. Um, that's right, the concept does exist, for those of you uh, not familiar with UK weather. It's more Alamein than North Atlantic today. And a massive post bag in response to our two-part series on the Dams Raid. Good. Um, lots of people um, asking uh, follow-up questions. Um, one of the main ones being, why didn't Bomber Command attack the repair works? Mm. Oh, yeah, this reminds me, actually. I, I must yeah. tell you the story. Um, so, um, I'll, I'll tell you in a minute. But I'll tell you the, yeah. um, the why they didn't attack the repair works. Uh, because the only way you'd be able to really do that is by doing that low level. And yeah. the whole point of the Dams Raid is that it was a surprise attack um, and no one was very happy about doing low level stuff. And, yeah. and low level bombing in the heart of the Reich is really, generally speaking, not a good idea. Yeah. Um, and yes, you could have hurtled in with mosquitoes, but even mosquitoes flying over 400 miles an hour are still pretty vulnerable when they're coming in at kind of, you know, 500 feet or whatever. Um, yes, and, and it was just considered to be too dangerous. It's how inaccessible they are as targets, actually, um, is the thing. They're, they're difficult to get at, aren't they? <laughs> really difficult. Um, you know, and how, how do you do it? You're, you're flying over 400 miles an hour over the Myrna Dam, even with its repairs. You're, that, that's going to be a nanosecond. Yeah. Also, the other thing that the dams raids did is they drew air defences to the dams. So, right. Uh, 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 making so, them even more dangerous. Making them even more dangerous. And if you're the... If you're, Bomber Command, you, I know. I know. Sometimes when you look at it, you look at what Bomber Command do during the war. You wonder what flak assessments go into what they're doing. But basically, you can tell everything that's a proper target is where they run into flak, and these had become proper targets. And clearly, someone thought this isn't. It ain't worth it. Yeah. I also I'm, think. I'm, yeah, go on. I mean, I think the other thing is it's also a surprise that it, isn't it not a some perhaps a surprise within Bomber Command that this has actually worked. And oh yeah. And, and you've already made your plans for the summer and diverting any more effort to this um, it might not be possible. Is, a, is that not also a factor? 
Well, I think there's enough flexibility in Bomber Command that you can you can change your targets and all the rest of it. But but mm. I think you know it, the, the point is is the only reason they were able to get the the dams in the first place is because they had a bouncing bomb mm. that went over torpedo nets. The, the point is, yeah. is is that it's not like bombing the Krupp factory yeah. where yeah. where you've got a great big rectangular yeah. sort of block target to see. You know, this is something that's incredibly difficult to hit. You know, how are you going to do it? And what can you do? Okay, you just fly over and sort of machine gun it and, can, you know, shoot cannons from your mosquitoes or something. But that's not really going to cut it, is it? Yeah. That's not going to cause that much damage. And how many people, how many are you going to lose in the process? I, I think it's... But, uh, but also, the simple fact they're having to do these repairs is an opportunity cost for the Germans anyway, isn't it? They, they can't right. use these people on something else. You know, it, 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 even however long the repairs take, whatever the repairs cost... Is costing them in another arena. Is the, exactly, is the point, isn't it? Yeah. Which is why, um, I mean, when we when we talked about were the raids worth it, <laughs> if people remember the second episode, James is quite adamant. About, you were quite adamant, weren't you? That, that it was that, worth that, it. Yeah. That it's massively worth it, and just the sorper that you have to drain the sorper, um, to make sure it to, to check the extent of the damage. Which Rather was not than, inconsiderable. I mean, which yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is not inconsiderable. But even the effort of having to do that means that dam is out of action for that entire time. And the reason you've, I mean, funnily enough, um, uh, we, I was reminded of the of the um, you know, the Operation Colossus, the attack on the aqueduct, the Taranto aqueduct. Yes, yeah. this, this idea that what you do is attack a sort of a, 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 an infrastructure vulnerability, and obviously the Taranto thing didn't work out, and. Did only did the repairs were fixed within a within a couple of weeks and all that sort of thing, but it's this idea of finding an economic vulnerability, yeah, and 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 dealing with it, and is obviously it's it is difficult to measure the cost, isn't it? Yeah, effectively because it goes into a sort of minus account, doesn't it? Yeah, it makes the Germans more overdrawn rather than uh, puts credit in your bank. Does, does that make sense? Yeah, I, th- I think that's I think that's absolutely right. I mean, but but just the the practicalities of hitting a target that yeah, th- I mean, it looks monstrous when you're when you're standing beside the Mona Dam, but when you're from the from when you're ab- above it, it doesn't. And, yeah. and and you know, having flown over it at five hundred feet, I can tell you, it, it doesn't look anything like as big at five hundred feet as it does yeah. when you're when you're at the surface. And you know, just think about all those bombers that went over quite low level. On D Day, yeah, 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 and hit nothing, yeah, because there's because they're coming at ninety degrees to it. You know, if you're attacking the, the Murder Dam, you're going to be coming at ninety degrees. You can't really go along it. You know, how do you hit it? I mean that that was the whole point of the bouncing bomb, yeah, yeah, yeah. and nothing's changed because they're repairing it. You know, okay, yeah. you can just sort of go and plaster the area and hope you hit some some huts and stuff, and and maybe a bit of railway track. But really, I mean, it's just. You know, the only way it's going to work is if you can actually blast it all to pieces again. Yeah. And yeah, because yeah, large yeah. chunks of it are now missing, it's even harder to do. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's just, I just don't, I think I think the kind of practicalities of it, of, of sort of risk to um, practical chances of uh, realistically happening to potential losses, I would have thought, you know, it's a pretty easy decision to to, not yeah. to make in a way, and and also you are if you're bombing that you're not if you're attacking that you're not attacking something else. And yeah. there's a there's, there's and again the, the, this 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 there's always an opportunity cost, isn't there? So if yeah. you've spent your bombers on that, you're not you're not harassing Krupp, like you say. You know, an, e- an easier target to hit. 
that that now is also affected by the lack of water and so on. And and all those bridges that have been destroyed in the tsunami um, from the Myrna and all the hassles and problems they've got from extensive flooding and destruction and all the rest and all the problems that that's causing to the industrial heartland of the Ruhr because of the lack of water coming from the the Zorpa as well. I mean, you could argue that it's better to just carry on hammering the Ruhr. Yeah. Which is basically what... Harris did. They then, which they didn't then do. But yeah, but I've got to tell you this story. So when I, when on. I first went out there, um, it was when I was researching a book, and I went out with my mate Jim, and, and Jim's not very good on heights, and I picked him up from the from the airport. I, I think it was Dusseldorf or somewhere like that. Uh, and he said, right, where are we off to? And I said, well, before we go to the Myrna Dam, I've got a treat in store. We're going to go to an airfield and we're going to find someone to take us up and take us over the dams. <laughs> and he just went, you are absolutely nuts. We can't do that. I went, yeah, we can. So we went to the, went to this little airfield and I went up and I said, look, I don't want to do, I just looked up flying schools. Um, and I said, I don't want to go, I don't want to have a flying lesson, but what I do want to do is I want to go over the Myrna Dam, the Zorpa Dam and the Ada Dam. Have you got someone who can, who can take us up? And he went, hang on a minute, um, I'll call someone. Anyway, he called this bloke, this pilot, and um, he said, yeah, yeah, he's on his way. Anyway, so so Jim and I sit there in the in the kind of, you know, the main foyer of the, of the airfield, sort of waiting for, for our pilot to turn up. And about an hour later, he turns up and he's got long hair, looks like a rocker, cowboy boots, <laughs> aviation shades, you know, Ray-Bans. Yeah. yeah. And he goes... You're the guys who want to go over the dams, yeah? And we went, yeah. And Jim just went, I just can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. I went, of course you can. Stop being such a wuss. You can do it. Yeah. So we went out to this tiny plane. By this point, Jim's sort of really starting to quiver, the thought of going up in this little kind of sort of tin pot yep. thing with this rocker, aging German rocker. <laughs> and uh, anyway, so he started to sort of falter. And the pilot said, turned to Jim and said, What's the problem? No machine guns? <laughs> <laughs> and then eventually oh, we we uh, we level we got came around the Myrna and we did the we did the did the run and he turned yeah. around to us and he went this one is for your fathers <laughs> it was just that is brilliant. amazing yeah it was absolutely fantastic he was so brilliant and um you know he ever says that Germans don't have a sense of humour. Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. he was absolutely yeah, yeah. brilliant. And and we That's loved really it. really cool. Yeah, it was really cool. It was great. We did all the three dams and it was just fantastic. And and he was really, you know, his English was really good. So he was he was very interesting about it, actually. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the thing is, is uh, the thing is, is were it not for the James Brickhill book and the film, where would this raid, do you think, sit in the story of mm. uh, the Second World War? But certainly of the bomber offensive. Well, I still think it would be, you know, considered a pretty A1 thing. I mean, you know, as we all know, anything that has a film attached to it tends to kind of live a Mutate, little bit longer. change and, yeah, yeah, you live know, longer. D-Day, yeah, yeah. American paratroopers. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, you yeah. know, Pan, <laughs> <laughs> et etc. et cetera. But, um, and Rommel to a certain extent. But yeah, yeah, I think it would I think it would still be right up there because it was remarkable, wasn't it? I mean it's, yeah. it's amazing, yeah, yeah. But amazing it, but thing. it but it also is is it also not an attractive raid because the idea of precision bombing um you know, because Malcolm Gladwell has got himself got himself in this, you know, all all the historians who've read his books have obviously been throwing it around the room while reading it. 
You know, I mean, the thing is, well, it's just it's, it's made basically because you know he sort of you know no one ever knew about this, but there was a there was this amazing bomb site called the Northern Bomb Site, and yeah, yeah, you know yeah, no yeah. one's ever heard of this before, and it's sort of yeah. well, well, maybe, yeah. yeah. I mean, maybe maybe reading that book would be good exercise because you'd hurl it, and then you'd have to go pick it up and chuck yeah. it further. That's the impression I'm getting anyway. But the but but his 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 pit his thing is precision bombing. That you know, he says basically where we've ended up now is with precision bombing with with drones and cruise missiles and all that sort of stuff and smart bombs, and that would have been, which is what we talked about actually um, uh, in the first podcast. You know, one one target, one bomb, yep. one plane, one bomb, one target, and you and dis- the decisive effect. But there is something in the dams raid that is also not plastering cities. So if you're going to, if you're if it's the fifties and what you're trying to do is come to terms with the Second World War and what you did. The dams raid is sort of, um, it is the sort of, I don't know, easier to stomach, isn't it, than than well, I suppose than so. flattening except, except Cologne. That, yeah, except that kind of large numbers of people were killed. I mean, you know, more people were killed in the dams raid than would have been killed on a average, you know, I know, five hundred bomber raid. Yes, I know, and that's what I mean. That again, that's what's so weird about it, isn't it? Because hmm. because they're not bombing a city; they are not seeking to. They're not seeking to flatten a suburb or, you know, de-house them, kill the man who makes the rifle so the man who uses the yeah, rifle doesn't yeah. have a rifle. Blah, blah, blah. They're not trying to do that. They're trying to do something else. They nevertheless kill more people than if... But, but I don't know. There's something... I always wonder whether... The, what One of the reasons the dams raid is so sort of Because it feels like a good, clean show. Yeah, exactly. It, yeah, it, it, I, maybe. It has that element, Maybe. I mean, I think, you know, obviously a lot of it is to do with... I, I don't think Barnes-Wallace would have been so famous had it not been for the for the, no. for, for the film. But I think the, the, I think the fact that it's, that it's, that it's daring, um, that it comes off, um, that they're using an exciting new weapon, I think all those things are, you know, that, well, they, make it kind of, they make yeah. it thrilling and, and, and brilliant and, you know, it, it's successful. So I think that's why it's, um, it's commemorated still, really. Yeah. Yeah, it's extraordinary. Yeah. I mean, I've to, I don't know. It's it's interesting because you know, you, you one writes these books and whatever, and does a lot of work on them, and then you sort of sort of forget. You don't forget about it, but you sort of you have to put it aside. You put it aside a little bit. So it's it was it's been fascinating, kind of revisiting it. And I've got to say, absolutely nothing that has made me change my original view on this. I mean, yeah, yeah. You know, I feel exactly the same about it, which I don't. I wouldn't say I feel about all my books, but oh, really. Well, you know, I mean, you sort of move on, yeah. don't you? But... Well, yeah, 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 inevitably. I mean, the thing is, the, the, the thing about it is, though, is it will remain... I mean, the, the, I think it's even interesting that there is a controversy about how effective it was. Because, the, the, uh, you know, I don't see how the, the you know, the, the economic argument doesn't speak for itself. That the damage... Even having to repair... I find it absolutely having... amazing. OK, right. Um, right, well, now we have a little bit of... Uh, we have a bit of admin to do. Um, firstly, we launched a new audiobook this week on the main pod feed. Mm. Um, uh, for those of you not familiar with our members club, uh, known as the Independent Company, we release Second World War-themed audiobooks on a regular basis. Uh, ten now in the past year or so. And you know what? When when I saw how many we've actually done, because I, do, you know, I do them... And again, I read the audiobook, I, I, I put it in Dropbox, and I forget all about it. And I didn't realise we'd done... That I've done ten. Have you done ten? That's quite a lot of work. Yeah, that is now a hell I think of a about lot. it. Wow. Well, good <laughs> um, on you for uh, doing it because they are fantastic. No, uh, they're really. Um, they're there's. You enjoy they don't you? I love it. There's something about reading stuff aloud as well mm. um, that makes it go in in a different way. Yeah. Because uh, you're living with. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. To, do you think it's? Uh, do you think it, it really makes it feel more words. immediate somehow? Yes, I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
and and it's always interesting to read a book. Some of those, some I mean, the Dennis Barnum, which is we'll talk about in a, in a minute. Um, uh, that book is written by. I think he did. He wrote it with it at least being read aloud. Some of it read aloud in mind. Isn't that interesting? You know, because sometimes books are definitely not read to be written to be read aloud, right? At, at all. And I think sometimes some writers don't even consider that. I think. Yeah. But sometimes they do, and I think maybe it's because he was a maybe it's because he was a painter. Anyway, so uh, it, we've done ten books in the la- uh, in the last year or so, with another book ready to launch for members in July. Now you're very welcome to join this exclusive uh, club, <laughs> the Independent Company. It's a um, very uh, it's a very special club. It's a very special club full of a very special people. It's Patreon. dot com dot com slash we have ways that's patreon which is spelt p-a-t-r-e-o-n it costs six pounds a month for a huge amount of free content and a live version of the show like so james and i chatting about this and people asking questions live and with special guests um and we do that every monday night at the moment or we're doing them on monday nights yeah and um, it's a lot of fun the, it's a lot of fun yeah yeah we miss out the occasional monday for sort of important diary reasons and stuff and i think next week because it's chalk valley history festival um, you're tied up, aren't you? Yes. So, yes. So there won't be one next Monday. But the point is, we do this thing and we we talk like this, and we have <laughs> guests, uh, uh, some regular uh, guests, uh, interlopers even, um, uh, who pop up on the screen and chip in. Which is what happened last week. Is uh, Peter Kadic Adams uh, joined us from Croatia to talk about D Day? Uh, but we weren't expecting to talk to him. He just we were expecting to speak ha- to American, weren't we? But yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but people instead we got. We got Croatia. Them's the breaks, and then of course uh, it is. Cro- he lives in Croatia, doesn't he? So yeah, he'll be yeah, having yeah. to deal with. He'll be having to deal with mournful Croats, won't he? Yeah. Uh, uh, as a result of the football. Anyway, um, what we wanted to do was to give you um, those of you who are not in the club to give you a taster of what these books are like. So we've pulled one out of uh, our archive, one of our favourites, and it's a magnificent book called "One Man's Window" by Dennis Barnum. Now. Dennis Barnum was a Spitfire ace who operated over Malta at the absolute peak of the battle when there was a serious danger of the island's defenders being overrun. It's a fantastic account, um, searingly honest. He talks an awful lot about having to find the pluck to do it mm. um, and where he, where, how he resolves himself to the fact that, um, uh, you know, he's, every day he's living might be his last and all that sort of thing. And Dennis Barnum was a brilliant artist, a brilliant painter. So it's written very much with an artist's eye. So the colours of everything, the colours of everything in the med- the Mediterranean heat are extremely vivid. Yeah. It's a, it's an extraordinary account and starts with him on HMS Eagle, I think, on uh, um, uh, on his way to Malta with the Spitfires. You know, he does that journey, doesn't he? Yeah, I think he's Wasp, actually. But he's, um, no, he's on, no, he's on Wasp. That's right. He's, he's on, on Wasp. Yeah. But, but yeah, right. yeah, in April. He, he comes out in April on the first, yeah. first lot. 47 land within, I think, about four days. There's only seven left or something. They've all yeah. been destroyed on yeah. the ground. They're just really bad prep. Um, yeah. uh, and symptomatic, frankly, of the kind of really poor leadership. Um, Hugh Pugh Lloyd. Uh, yeah, I mean, it just, just wasn't good. I mean, you don't get 47 special, pre- very, very precious Spitfires coming to you and don't prepare for their arrival. I mean, it's just insane. But anyway, they yeah. sort things out very, very quickly, I'm glad to say. And so the next batch that come in, I think the sixty odd, um, come yeah. on the uh, on the ninth of May, and um, the following day they they have a a fantastic aerial victory, which he's you know and he's part of all this. It's um it's amazing. Um, it's the most amazing account though. Yeah, um, I've um, sent you. Have I sent you the the PDF of the original diary? Yeah, it's incredible. I mean, yeah, it's, yeah. it's it, so 
the the book one man's window um is drawn from this diary that he kept this very detailed diary and and, and which he's kind of sort of obviously adapted it into a kind of more obvious narrative and, and yeah. book form but there are lots of chunks of the diary which are are, are rewritten kind of verbatim in the book and yeah. What's lovely about the diary is it's it's also got lots of little sketches in it, um, which and many of which have sort of end up ended up in the in the finished book as well. But some of them are just so vivid; they get this sense of you, you, what you were saying about the sense of heat and the sense of movement, yeah. don't you? And the kind of drama going on. Yeah. I mean, you know, Malta's not a big place. I mean, it's smaller than the Isle of Wight. Um, it's pretty tiny, uh, and yet the focus of so much fighting in the first yeah. part of the war. It's absolutely amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it's a brilliant book. So, so we're releasing that a chapter a day on the days we don't release a podcast. So every day of the week, except Tuesdays and Thursdays, um, uh, and I think there's sort of eighteen chapters or something. Um, so that should get you through two, three weeks. Um, don't miss it. Um, I promise you, it's as good an account of the period as you'll ever hear. And and again, there's nothing like it, it, most of the memoirs we've chosen along the way. The, the frankness about they're not what a chaps what a rum show that was that time they're very much I am alone in this cockpit and I'm this book's that I'm alone in this cockpit and I've got to get myself into the fray and then you get the what that's like but also what it's what the what the actions of flying in combat are like but also how you hold your nerve what the cost is and all that sort of stuff. And it's very, very, very good in that regard. It's a brilliant book. Anyway. Yeah, and you can also see, you can see him sort of gradually getting combat fatigued. Yeah. Uh, and also sort of growing disillusionment with his with some of his fellows as well, because, yeah. you know, it is violent. And there's that, that sequence, isn't there, where the, um, I think it's an Italian, crashes yeah. and, and, and is burnt. And, yeah. and as it's burning, his his arm then obviously starts to kind of sort of gets it, it sort of um what's it what's the word where where you sort of get smaller um it sort of it gets reduced and as it as it reduces yeah. it sort of seems to raise itself in a fascist salute yeah and everyone thinks yeah. this is really funny and he's just disgusted isn't he yeah 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 yes yeah, i mean it's interesting because there's also that there's that instant where a plane flies alongside him and waggles his wings at him and is yeah, it has the better. He has yeah. the better of him, doesn't it? And he and he yeah, does yeah. everything he can. He just can't shake this guy off, but he doesn't yeah. shoot at him. Yeah, and he just yeah, thinks. Yeah. And eventually, he gives up. He just thinks, "Ah, oh, I'm, I'm done." Yeah, and that's the point where the Italian in his two Mackie two hundred two draws alongside and waggles wings and salutes and yeah. flies off. Yeah, and Barnum starts to think uh, maybe the Italians. The Italians know that they've lost. They're losing the war, and the thing to do is get some get some credit in the bank with us as as gentlemen yeah. or something. And everyone thinks he's crazy. Anyway, it's it's such an excellent book. Yeah. Um, and and if you enjoy that, maybe you'll be maybe you'll feel that the Patreon is the place for you with more of this sort of more of this sort of stuff. Yeah. Anyway, a quick update as well on the We Have Ways Festival. There are just ninety two tickets left for the event now. Um, uh, a reminder: it's taking place over the weekend, September the seventeenth to the nineteenth. If you do plan to come but haven't got around to sorting your tickets, don't delay. We have tons of of uh, of military hardware. <laughs> really? Loads of, literally. I mean, Literally tons. Thousands I mean, of tons of military. Oh, work. on the subject of tons, hmm. um, you know, we were talking about Pegasus Bridge, uh, uh, the Conconau on bridge, uh, on river bridges, and they didn't know what the load bearing was on those bridges. Right. That the, the, so on the night of D Day, one of the first things the sappers had to do was actually figure out if it could take a Sherman tank 
So they had to look at it, get, look at, give it the full up, full once over to check the tolerances on it. One of the reasons they had surmised that they would be able to get medium tanks over it was the Germans hadn't built a replacement bridge. Yeah, of course. So there it is. They look at it and they go, well, the Germans haven't put in a, a, a stronger bridge. So it, it must, must be, be right. up to the job. Because if they can get Mark IVs back, back yeah. uh, turn throw across it, it'll take a Sherman. Because I think the Mark IVs 25 tonnes. So, you know, near enough. Yeah. Wow. So that's, that's just so blindingly obvious, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Yeah. How brilliant. Yeah. Anyway, um, so we have tons of military hardware, all of which could roll across uh, Pegasus Bridge. Loads of great... We're not bringing a bridge, don't worry. Loads of great speakers. And now we can announce, and this is a treat, a modelling corner for our modelling enthusiasts. <laughs> our very, very good friends at Tamiya are bringing loads of modelling kits and their own specialist demonstrator, which means your challenges with weathering will be no more. And um, Feels like cheating, uh, <laughs> you got to figure it out for yourself, haven't you? You got to. Well, yeah, you know your um, your Stuart's looking good. Yeah, 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 yeah. Although it's got the, I bought the wrong kit. It's got the wrong bloody turret. It's a, it's a, it's the wrong mark. I've got the, the desert mark, so I think I'm going to have to um, buy the right kit and put the turret on anyway. Because I'm trying to reproduce that one in. Is it in Giel that photo? Of the of the yes the, yeah, 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 yeah yeah yeah. Well, yeah. I was in I was at Bobbers the other day and. Um, I was looking at their their Stuart and I was thinking, God, you know, if I was ever going to get a World War II tank, I, I think I'd go for that. Really? I just think it'd be really Why? fun. Well, it's sort of, it is, I mean, they're, they're small and they're, I just, I just thought my impression of them is how tiny they are. That, 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 that you're, you know, you're basically. I know, but you like and I a, could fit in it. It'd be great. Armoured beach Beat around. <laughs> yeah, I know, but I quite like it. I think, I, I think I'd quite oh. go for it. Okay, what's the gun on it? Is it, is it yeah, it's a thirty-seven millimeter or something? Yeah, it's like a basically a two-pounder. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll take a break and we'll come back with some questions. Hello there, Al Murray here. I'd just like a moment of your time to make an appeal to you on behalf of the charity DKMS. I thought because you're fans of history, you might like to make some in your own personal way. DKMS run a blood stem cell donor service to help people with blood cancer. A blood stem cell donation can save someone's life or it can buy them and their family precious time. I found out about DKMS because my nephew is very ill with a childhood leukaemia, a bitterly cruel disease. The only known cure is a blood stem cell donation. Thanks to three donors, he is still with us. What DKMS do is very simple, yet quietly amazing. They can make you into a lifesaver in waiting. Here's how. Go to their website, www.dkms.org.uk and find out if you are eligible to donate blood stem cells. Register on their database and they will send you a swab pack. A year and a half ago, when I first started campaigning for DKMS, I had to explain what the swab pack was. Since COVID-19, perhaps you're all a little more familiar with it. You swab your cheeks, pop the swabs in an envelope and return them to DKMS. Then, if and when you are found to be a genetic match for someone who needs your blood stem cells, it's like a fingerprint, only more so, they will get in touch. Your blood stem cells could go anywhere in the world. You could help someone like Finlay, wherever they are. Since the pandemic, registration has fallen and it would be great if between us we could do something about it. Go to dkms.org.uk to see if you are eligible to donate blood stem cells. 
Thanks very much. Hello, James Holland here. I just want to let you know that the paperback of my latest book, Sicily 43, is out now. It's about the epic 38-day battle that raged in July and August 1943. It's a story that involves breathtaking action at sea, in the air and on land. Its conquest involved airborne operations, daring raids by special forces, the harnessing of the Mafia, attacks across mosquito-invested plains, assaults up almost sheer faces of rock and scrub, and featured an astonishing array of highly colourful characters, and all to the backdrop of relentless heat, dust, mosquitoes, and truly brutal terrain. There's Patton, Monty, Tiger Tanks, Spitfires, and Messerschmitts. It's got the lot, so what's not to like? It's published by Penguin and available in all good bookshops in the UK right now. Grazie mille. Welcome back to We Have Ways of Making You Talk with me, Al Murray and James Holland. Um, uh, so we've just, just to summarise, there's a new audio book um, yep. on every day, uh, except Tuesdays and Thursdays on this normal pod stream. One Man's Window by Dennis Barnum about Malta. We Have Ways Festival. There's only 92 tickets left. Yeah, I've got Tons of energy well. hardware. I've got some. All your favourite... Sp- Oh, go on. Yeah, I was just going to mention Chalk Valley History Festival. Yeah. You know, you know regard, regardless of Boris's announcement today, we're still going ahead because, <sighs> you know, we've been planning for stage three. We were hoping for stage four, but we've been planning for stage three. That's right. going to be fine. We're still going to have, you know, 4,000 people on site. But, you know, you and I are going to be there, Al, and we're doing a live podcast yes. and we're doing all sorts of bits and pieces and there's going to be a T-34 and there's going to be a Sherman and there's going to be quite a lot of other stuff there's not going to be as much exciting. hardware as there is, is in September <laughs> uh, it's not going to be quite full on Second World War Fest but there's going to be plenty to see and do and um, if you've got interest in other periods of history as well there's absolutely stacks going on yeah. so it should be a lot yeah. of fun so if you want to come and see us then um, we'll be there I'm very excited about it because uh, the weather looks good uh, weather looks the weather great look, the weather looks good and Lots of beer you know there's going to be some beer. Oh, and you're um, doing Histrionics, aren't you? Which is our comedy, you know, it's, yes. it's Have I Got History for You, effectively. Yeah, with, with Harry Enfield. Harry I mean, Enfield. Uh, and uh, Alex uh, Ritchie. It's one of the, yeah, I know. <laughs> There's a bill no one ever imagined. Yeah, that's your partner. Uh, she's your, no, she's your team I, buddy. I know, but, but, the, but, but, but you know, if, if you'd told the 19-year-old me I'd be doing something with Harry Enfield, um, uh, yeah. I'd, have, I'd have mind blown. And so he's great, isn't he? He's really funny. Yeah, yeah he's terrifically funny. And Charlie Higson yeah. in the chair, so that'll be fun. Yeah, yeah. Friday yeah, night. Yeah. 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 What's not to like? What's not to like? Um, now, should we do some questions? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Why not? This is from Sean Wilson, Tampa, Florida. Okay. Hello, guys. Loving the podcast. I've just, I have a question for you and all the members of the independent company. I've just rewatched A Bridge Too Far. Oh, God. Oh, God not that. And during, during the scene of the British being basically scolded <laughs> by the American about stopping for tea. And I got me thinking of other times I've seen similar incidents mentioned in movies, memoirs, or recollections of veterans where the British stopped at seemingly inopportune moments for tea. I lived in Old Blighty for several years, loved the culture and still enjoy my afternoon Good tea. Man. My question is this. Did these sort of incidents happen? And if so, are they accurate? Are there exaggerations a cup or too far? Uh, thanks in advance. And yes, I do know how to make a proper cup of Sean Williams. Well, I, yeah, I think I think it's complete nonsense. It's, it's absolutely ridiculous, this whole kind of thing that the British are constantly stopping for cups of tea. So so what everyone has to realise <laughs> is that that in wartime, there's an awful lot of hanging around and not doing things. And if you're even if you're in a in a big column, there's all always lots of stops. You know, you're, you're trundling down the road, and even if you're trying to do it fast, it only you know some mines suddenly need clearing yeah. or whatever. Everything grinds to a halt. What do you do? You have a smoke. You have a brew, and that's yeah. why they do it. It's just, it's just that the British forces have a kind of sort of cultural 
there's a there's a whole sort of cultural thing about tea which is not shared in the USA, no, so, or, or not really. I mean, obviously, Sean, you um, you drink tea and that's that's great, but but you know, it's it's not the same thing, and you know, you you have your Lucky Strikes and Hershey bars, Hershey, and um, uh, uh, and you know, and your cups of coffee and whatever. Yeah. But but it's just a thing. It's a, it's like a morale boosting thing. It's it's something to do. It's to take your mind off it. It's, and it's just what everyone does. And do you know what the British Army still do it? Um, yeah, so much yeah. so in their current tanks, they've they've even got a kettle inside the turret. Yes, there's a there's a hot water uh, tea brewing system, isn't there? Yeah. In a modern, like, modern it's like, like a like a tank tea's made, and yeah. and um, uh, you know, and it's <laughs> it's still a really really important thing. And it's just it's a it's it's a process of doing something together, getting. Taking on board some fluids, as they like to say these days, yep. rehydrating, um, uh, and that's all it is. No one is going to stop a battle. It's it's not like freaking Asterix in Britain, um, you know, where they're suddenly sort of oh, sorry, chaps, I've got to it's tea time. I've got to go and stop fighting. I mean, it's nothing like that at all. No, no. I mean, it's absolutely uh, ludicrous. It, in, it, it really winds me up. In Chindit, which is one of the audio books that we did, um, uh, that we talked about the audio books earlier. He in the first chapter. He describes, and I, I haven't got, unfortunately, I haven't, I haven't got the book to hand because his description of the first tea that they drink when they stop having marched through intense jungle. This is what I think even when they're on training, you know, they stop for a tea and he, he says, this, you know, he describes it as the elixir of life, the refreshment of yep. it and the and the comfort of the of the stopping, taking a moment for yourself, yep. taking a moment for yourself to do something comforting. Yeah. How powerful and important that is. And, you know, and, the, and this is a guy who, you know, the, 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 the Chindits are, are all, t- they're tough guys. And they're, they're doing these great long route marches through the jungle. Yeah. And to them, the tea is incredibly important as a way of, like, like you say, of st- also stepping out of where you are, you know, like having a moment, literally a moment for yourself that's built around your personal comfort. It's very. It's, I think it's the problem is is in a the the problem is of course and and the bridge too far instant after all when they've crossed the Nymagen, uh, the river at Nymagen, all that sort of stuff is is basically if a British army uh, outfit stops they brew up don't they that's what they do they haven't stopped they haven't stopped to, to make brew tea up. they've brewed they, up because they, they've, they've stopped they've stopped exactly yeah. and it's it's realizing it's that way round. Um, it's the it's the sort of crucial bit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's just so absurd to think that, yeah. that it's it's the other way around. Yeah. I mean, you know, of yeah, course yeah, yeah, it isn't. Yeah, yeah, no yeah, one's yeah, going to yeah. not fight or not yeah. push onto a bridge because they yeah. want a cup of tea. I mean, well, that's that, that, ridiculous. That, that, in um in uh, uh with the jocks, Peter White's account, it, when when they're moving up into Germany and they keep getting into um trucks and being driven forward. And whenever they stop, his main concern is there's enough, you know, they, they then rush to cook to make tea mm. when they stop. And, the, and he says the worst thing is, is you've just got the tea going and someone says prepare to move and you've got to throw it away. And that's the, you know, yep. or you're passing around a scalding hot mess tin with the tea with everyone taking a slurp. And you've got to go. Uh, and you've got to go. And, and, it, and, and of course you've got to go, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you, yeah, you don't, you don't stop because of the tea. I mean, I don't know. I mean, it, 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 the other end of it, the other end of it, though, is this sort of British. In, you could you could take it as a this is a valued quality of insouciance. We're going to stop for tea, old chap. There's nothing. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah, you could flip. You could flip it in that direction and uh, see it rather than rather than British 
the British being lackadaisical. It's them being them being cool in this situation. You know, we'll we'll deal with the deal with the Germans once we've had our tea. Thanks. Well, yeah. Much. Well, when John Semkin's <laughs> tank at, at Geilenkirchen blows up on a mine, they all decide that they're going to go separate. They're, they're going to go separate ways. Yeah. So John Semkin and three of the crew go off, um, leaving Arthur Reddish and and the driver in the front compartment on their yeah. own. And so yeah. they're sat there in this huge crater in this knocked out tank. And Reddish goes, well, should we have a brew first before we go? Yeah. And so they brew up. They're sitting in this huge crater in this mud in the middle of the battlefield. Yeah. I think, well, I'll have a brew to sort of, you know, calm our nerves. Take yeah. a moment. Yeah. yeah. And that's yeah, what yeah. they do. Well, I mean, it's, it's, well, it's why brilliant. Not? And, and ugh, entirely sympathetic to it. I mean, yeah. the tea they had, you know, I mean, I've, I've tried making it up. I mean, the, the traditional yeah, desert horrible. way is, is horrible. It's yeah, horrible. Yeah, yeah. So you have, you have, you have, <laughs> You have the tea, you have condensed milk, yeah, um, because obviously that's the only way it's, it'll, it'll preserve it, which is sort of creamy and thick and sugary. And then you add more sugar, and you just plonk it all in together in a, in a mess tin and, and, and heat it up. Well, they'd do that thing, wouldn't they, where they'd have a they'd have a um, uh, a barrel full of sand, wouldn't they? Half a barrel with sand. Yeah, and you put it in a flimsy. Yeah, and you put petrol in. Yeah, you put petrol in the, on the sand and light the, and it would boil the water instantly. Yeah, so they, they they figure out all the, but then you, of course your tea tastes of petrol. So well, <laughs> I we, we did this down at the tank museum um, uh, last year, and um, we tried it with the with the pouring the petrol onto the sand and everything. Yeah, it did. It, it burns much longer than you'd think. Really? Yeah, you just chuck a little bit in, and um, you know it really does just burn. Right, right. You got to be careful though. Guy I was with singed his eyebrows. Oh really? <laughs> Yeah, but I think, you know, I think singed it, eyebrows is the least of your worries if, if you're doing this for real, <laughs> yeah. isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, Star of the North asks, do either of you or your team know which Allied unit was the first to get back into Dunkirk in 1944? Yeah, this will this, surprise you. It was the first Czech Armoured Brigade. Really? <laughs> yes, rather brilliantly. So um, they, the, the Canadians were imagine. there in, in September. They got their sort of... They were attacking um, sort of Burgoo and Lune-Plage yeah. um, and Bray Dunes from around the 9th of September. Right. Um, and actually, the Calgary Highlanders had a had a pretty heavy fight at, um, at Burgoo and, and eventually took Lune-Plage. And I think Bray Dunes fell by 15th of September or something like that. Yeah. Um, but they actually, they decided to just bypass it because... Yeah, yeah you know it wasn't the kind of priority and it was quite strongly held and you know it was one of those sort of hitler festungs festungs yeah. um and the germans were able to still supply the supply dunkirk by sea amazingly usually using submarines and stuff um and so they thought okay well canadians need to sort of crack on um uh, but the czech first armor brigade was now come into the come into the fray so they said okay you can besiege dunkirk right yeah and they do little nuisance raids, so they 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 send off little raids in to go and sort of harass the Germans in Dunkirk. Um, and the, there's one night where they go in and they capture three hundred Germans. But the problem wow. is, is the other big problem is, of course, it's winter and it's very very low lying there. And of course, you know all the flooding that happened in um, in May and June, nineteen forty, which sort of prevented the Germans from easily taking Dunkirk. You know, same as same is true in reverse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so uh, how? How is there? How many Czech arm Czech soldiers are there in Twenty First Army Group then? Oh, not 
not not many. I mean, just a, just an armoured brigade. Yeah, I think so. Right. But anyway, they've they, you know, Dunkirk doesn't actually surrender until the 9th of May. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah so it's yeah, one of those yeah. ones like they, the Channel Islands. It's kind of sort they of stick it out a day late. Yeah, but it's you know the the surrender Congress. is on the eighth of May, isn't it? Officially, yeah. well, signed on the seventh, <laughs> officially on the eighth. But they don't throw the towel in until the ninth. But but the first troops into Dunkirk are the Czechs. Wow. Yeah. Gosh. Which I think is really good. I was wondering cool. what I don't know is that I don't know what who, who I'm, I'm assuming that the the Czechs were equipped with British kit rather like the Poles, so they were wearing well. I was just, my mind was Tommy helmets my, and all the rest. Well, of it. my my mind was running to the, surely. I mean, they're they're in 21st Army Group, right? Yeah. So, so they 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 must they must be. Uh, I mean, you, you'd assume so, wouldn't you? Because yeah. you, if you're in the same logistic tail and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Talking of which, uh, there's a Polish battle dress coming up for auction next Monday. Is there? Yes, and two German, uh, two British paratroop helmets. Really? Yes, and Anthony yeah. Eden's first World War medals. Really? Yeah. Don't I think that's a bit out of my range? But you know, I'm not going to lie. I mean, parachute helmet oh, yeah. is quite tempting. Yeah, it is. That is tempting. Oh, that. Yeah, there's the catalogue. Yeah. Well, uh, well, yeah. William Wallace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, 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 they're on the front. The cover they've got is yeah. they because you know Anthony Eden won an MC in First World War. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, there's the uh, there's the battle dress. Oh, very nice. Yeah, tempting. Eh? God, that tempting. Yeah, expensive tempting. though. Yeah, well, you know. I'm trying to wait, wait, I'm trying to locate. I'm just looking at the 21st Army Group order of battle. Who the, who are the Czechs under? They under a Cana- Are they in the Canadian, Canadian Army? Yeah. Right. Yeah, okay. they're under the Canadians. Okay. Oh yes, first Czechoslovak Armored Brigade, October to November '44. So they're in they're in Cromwell's, just finding pictures. They're in Cromwell's yeah, and they're in battle dress and they're in berets and yeah, lovely. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So l- l- like you said, they're ba- basically they're basically British did an British awful kit. lot of kitting out. I mean, I know the the, yeah. the Americans took over the kitting out of the French, but you know they did all the um, they did all the the Italian troops in Italy as well and the Greeks. Yeah. yeah. So in September forty four, they they've. Two tank battalions, a motorised infantry battalion of two companies, an artillery regiment of two batteries, an anti-tank battalion, engineer battalion, two companies, and a reconnaissance squadron. So these are guys who've all ended up in the Middle East or managed to get to England after the fall of Czechoslovakia. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, it's 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 a it's an amazing effort, really. Yeah, absolutely incredible. And you think about all those Czech SOE guys and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. And they'd, they'd, the motorised infantry had fought um, at, Tobruk, at the defence of Tobruk as well. Yeah. That's interesting. Wow. I, I, I had no idea that there were so many Czechs present. Yeah. That, that's it's good. not Duke. Right, okay. it's, uh, it's Duke. It's Duke. Oh, God. Duke. It's Dukeak. Dukeak. Or Dukex, because they're the exiles. There you go. Yeah, no, that's quite good, isn't it? I was thinking um, Duke and coalition forces. Oh, that's good, too. That's, no, that's I think Dukex is better. Duke X. Duke X. Okay. Duke X. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now, Steve Dunnett um, has a question. Um, but uh, if you've, this is the first time you've ever listened to this podcast. Duke is our way of trying to say Dominion UK and Empire soldiers, uh, forces. Because after all, you can't really call it the British Empire, the British effort, because the Dominions aren't, aren't really em- an empire anymore. Um, but you can't just call it UK or Britain. Because you've got to include the dominions and the, and the empires. I mean, India really essentially is what we mean when we say empire, and 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 African stuff. So Duke, Dominions, UK, Empire. But now we have to put the exiles on. Yeah. 
to include I mean, the polls I mean, and the checks. So it was your invention, that acronym, but I think it's a really strong one. I think it works and quite I, well. I think I, well, one of the challenges from this podcast is to make it accept, widely accepted around the world. My ambition is to hear someone use it without any sense of irony whatsoever and completely <laughs> independently without without knowing me or you. Well, that would be great to it would be great to have um, to this podcast to have sort of had that kind of effect would be an extraordinary thing. Yeah, well, I think you would. Um, that's something you'd feel quite proud about, isn't it? I would. Yeah. Well, Ernest Malley, our Australian correspondent on Twitter, he's been using Duke because he says it's just really, really useful when you're on Twitter to be able to abbreviate meaningfully, and it and and it. Yeah, we've done I, the job I, for I, it. I think it's going to catch on. Yeah. Okay. So now we have a. Should we do one more question? Let's yeah. 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 Question. Steve Dunnett. Hi guys, love the podcast. My father served in Crete with Mobile Naval Base Defence Organisation 1 and just made it out in a small boat with a few friends having received a bayonet wound. He ended up in Ceylon for a while and spent some time in the Indian Ocean. My son and myself have tried to trace his movements in this organisation which seems shrouded in mystery. We have a suspicion his time in Ceylon may be connected with HMS Anderson which appears to have been the Far East version of Bletchley Park. He ended his war fighting in Northern Europe, but by this time, both MNBDO 1 and 2 had ceased to exist. Do you guys have any knowledge of the Mobile Naval Base Defence Organisation story? I found the records of the Royal Marines of World War II sketchy at best, but NMBDO 1 in particular seems deliberately so. Keep up the good work, Steve and Ollie. Well, this is one we need to check check with Steve Prince. But my understanding about this is, is that these are exactly... They're like airfield defence. You know, right. so you have the RAF Regiment to defend your airfield. Uh, and you have naval base defence organisations. Basically, they're troops that um, defend your your naval base ports. on the, the ports yeah, on the right. ground. They man anti aircraft guns on the, you know, on the harbour walls and all that kind of stuff, and keep lookout. Yeah. And you yeah. know, you know, they're, they're basically they are exactly what they say on the tin, right? And it's just as simple as that. Um, okay. And, and the reason they 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 cease to exist at the end of the war is because we've won and we don't need to protect any more ports. <laughs> I, of course, you know. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, as, as the further you go in, you, you don't need sort of mobile naval base defence organisations on kind of Dunkirk anymore because no, it's, it's not get the jigs up for that, it, right? It, it, yeah, yeah. So, so you just oh, get rid of them, you know. Uh, and, and that's interesting. But obviously, you continue having kind of um, naval troops who are doing protection protection work. But at the end of the Second World War, I suppose they just get you know turns into something else. So they were they're Marines essentially, though. Yeah, but but yeah, yeah um, but I think it's just exactly what it says on the tin. I re- I really do. I don't think it's more complicated than that. Ah. But okay. I will well, I will dig around and ask Steve because he'll know. Yeah, he'll know. Yeah. Oh well. Okay. Excellent. Well, um, we've covered a lot, lot lot of ground there and some usual digression. But if you want digression. Listen to Thursday's podcast with our special guest Joe Coles from. Oh the my goodness, that was so website. much fun, wasn't it? It, just the most amazing uh, thing. Now, uh, uh, those of you who aren't familiar with Hushkit, it's a website about aircraft for a, a, a aviation uh, addict. I'm not going to use the word geek or nerd. I think that's not fair. Um, uh, but done with Joe, a lovely... I mean, it's all, all his knowledge is amazing, but it's done with a lovely yeah. sense of humour as well, isn't it? With his tongue in his cheek and, uh, and a, uh, yeah, a sud... So, he, he, what we talk about is our favourite war crime, wartime aircraft with top fives um, from every major combatant. Um, and it really is a fantastically entertaining um, listen. And the, and 
with a real rabbit pulled from the hat at one point. Oh, surprised, just surprised the life. Out I can't. Like, t- I love that conversation. We don't want to. We don't want to tell you though. So I've just done a. I've just done a um a questionnaire for him for his um. Oh yeah, I read it. Yeah, for his podcast, and um, he said most overrated plane of the Second World War, and I went zero. Oh, really? Yeah. See, I, my theory on this is is that the, the zero looks better than it is because right. the standard of Japanese fighter pilots, naval fighter pilots at that stage of the war was just very high. so high. Right. You know, it's 500 hours before you've even started. Yeah. You know, they're so disciplined. They're so zoned out. And it made me think about the Red Arrows and what they were saying about, you know, how they're just totally in the zone. They're so well trained. Yeah. They just, it's just, you know, you just sort of yeah, go. Muscle bits, memory. Yeah, you yeah, go, yeah, yeah, muscle memory, all that kind of stuff. And I think that's what that's what the Japanese are doing. And so they can they can make their planes do things that an ordinary pilot couldn't do. Because, ah, because the bottom line is it does have this amazing range, but it's so under-armoured. Yeah. And, and, and it's, it's not massively fast. Yeah. And it's not so basically, that manoeuvrable. So basically, once you've got pilots, um, once they're once they're up against pilots who are similarly well trained and have a similar amount of hours. Well, what happens is you, you, your your Japanese fighter pilots they start here and it yeah, goes yeah. down and down and down a bit like the Germans because yeah. of course they just can't afford to train them anymore. Yeah. Whereas Americans is going upwards. Yeah. And the quality of their aircraft is the going. Frames are getting better. Yeah, yeah. Whereas the problem with the zero is, it is a really impressive plane in the late 1930s and early 1940s but by the by kind of 1943 it's been outclassed it, and it, yeah. it's got nowhere to develop it's, yeah. it's a bit again it's a sort of not dissimilar to the to the Messerschmitt 109 it's really hard to take it on any further and, and a lot yeah. of Japanese kit just flatlines yeah but but the way the kind of sort of you know you know so much of the, the chat about the zero is is you know it's talked about in sort of slightly hushed awed tones isn't it yeah, you know, yeah, I, yeah, I'm yeah. just not sure it, it quite deserves it, really. Right. Well, anyway, um, if you want like more than an hour of this kind of conversation, then Thursday's <laughs> uh, edition with Joe Coles is uh, absolutely fantastic. And, and, a, and as a reminder, One Man's Window uh, by Dennis Barnum is being released daily. It, starts, it started Monday 14th of June, uh, for those of you catching up on the pod. We will see you all soon. Have a lovely summer, because it looks like it's a good one. Yeah. Cheerio. Cheerio. Cheerio.